Have you ever wondered if you could make a difference? This podcast brings you inspirational people who are making a tremendous difference. We will also be talking to experts in the field of creating the mindset you need so that nothing holds you back from making your vision a reality right now. Welcome to the Game Changers Podcast. And now, here's your host, Michelle Dutro. Hello and welcome to this week's Game Changer Podcast. My name is Michelle Dutro. I am your host, and I am thrilled and excited to bring you today's guest because I know that her story is going to resonate with so many people. So I'm going to get right after it. Uh, our guest today is Carolyn Green. She is a self-proclaimed recovering lawyer. There's about 57 different jokes I'm sure I could tell right there, but I'm going to keep going. Chronic overachiever, two-time Amazon best-selling author of Matter, How to Find Meaningful Work That's Right for You and Your Family, and Next, How to Start a Successful Business That's Right for You and Your Family. As a life and business coach, Carolyn helps determined moms build businesses and whole lives that truly matter to them. Anybody who listens to this podcast or reads any of my blogs knows my foundation for everything is you have one lifetime. Do what you truly love. Do what is going to make a difference in this world. Do something that really does matter to you, which all starts with your why. So I have no background as to Carolyn of where she got from being a lawyer, what she needed to recover from, what she's doing now. We're going to learn all of that together. So outside of what I just said, Carolyn, what should the audience know that we don't know about you right now? You know, Michelle, that's a great question. And in so many ways, I'm such an open book. There's very little about me that, um, that I keep tucked away. And, and I think that the one thing I'd want people to know is that um, there was a time in my life in which I did not think that the life I have now was possible. I just, I didn't believe that, that I could take my talents and gifts and live in a way that really truly mattered to me and, and show up in the world as, as a, as a woman, as a mother, as a partner, as a business owner, um, in a way that brought me so much joy. And so you know, I love, um, that I'm here and being able to talk to you about my story, because I think that when we share our stories, it's such an open invitation, um, to remind ourselves that we really can do things, um, that we, that feel, that may feel in a moment impossible, um, when we get the right help and commit to that path. So exactly. Okay. So we're going to dive in, but before we dive in, let's, let's, let's back the uh, train up a little bit. So first of all, you're a lawyer, what type, what kind, and why did you choose the path that you were on? So um, I was a white collar criminal defense attorney and former prosecutor, and I loved, loved, I loved my work. I actually always thought that I would stay in the legal profession. Um, I got on that path from a very young age. I came from a um, fairly traditional family with a traditional understanding of what it meant to be successful. I call this success in all caps. Um, go to the right schools, do the right things, work hard, good things will come. And really followed that path all the way through. It took me to, I went to prep school and then went off to Yale and then went to University of Virginia School of Law. Very sort of traditional trajectory. 
of just doing the next right thing. And, um, and, and always had a desire to help people always wanted to serve. And, and so I ended up as a prosecutor and then eventually on the private side as, uh, as a criminal defense attorney. And like I said, loved my work really actually, um, I used to always say I have a great job, but I have a terrible life. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I just would work all the time. And when, when I had kids in particular, my second, I really just had this moment of deep reckoning where I had to ask myself, is this, is this how I want to show up in the world? Is this who I want to be? And is this the type of legacy that I want to leave? And ultimately, and, and happy to, to, to talk about this in great detail, but um, really came to that point where I said, no, this is being a lawyer and, and serving and using my gifts in this way isn't what isn't the legacy that I want to leave and, and ultimately decided to make a switch. Okay. So back up because I have uh, a couple questions. So back when you were in high school, did, did you have, I don't know if this is your parents or you were watching a lot of rerun episodes of LA law. Did you want to be an attorney? Was that a dream of yours or was it just the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? Or was this really, did you see yourself uh, as a prosecutor or a defense attorney from early on? Um, it's a tricky question because my father was a lawyer. My mother was a lawyer. My brother's a lawyer. My sister's a lawyer. Wow. <clears throat> and so, and so I, and, and there was such emphasis on on serving and succeeding and doing well that I think when I came out of college, like so many young people just really confused about what I was supposed to do next. Sure. Becoming a lawyer felt safe and felt, uh, you know, I went with the highest hopes. I was going to be like a civil rights attorney and change the world. And, you know, and then you come out and you need a job and you go get a job. Right. Right. And so I think that there was a, there was a little bit of both sort of a respect for what being a lawyer meant, a respect for how they served. And, um, you know, despite all the lawyer jokes, like really understanding the, the role that, that they can play in, in a much larger purpose and having sort of that hope for that career for myself. Sure. But really ultimately when push came to shove, I, I was just choosing the next right, the next right thing. And, and obvious, quite frankly, I mean, given that story of your whole entire family, right. Uh, it, yeah. seem, it just seems uh, logical. So and I'm, this is probably going to be a very foolish question, but it seems odd to me. How, how do you go from being a prosecutor to an, a defense attorney? Or don't you have a mindset of I'm either getting the bad guys or heck no, I'm not going to let the, the judicial system, uh, you know, bury somebody wrongly. So I'm going to go defend everybody I can. They seem to me as an outsider as such uh, a different way of thinking or that you kind of have to pick one side of the fence or the other. So how did you even make that change? Or am I crazy? Like they're so no, similar, it doesn't crazy. really matter. You know, it totally depends who you ask, right? It depends what type of prosecutor and defense attorney you are. Hmm. I think for me, I really always did it from a place of ju a deep love of justice. I, I really, truly, I, I went to become a prosecutor because I wanted to serve my community. And, um, and, and what I ultimately discovered was that for me, using my talents and gifts to put people in jail, especially in the way in which I was, was not rewarding. I have deep respect for law enforcement. It's a necessary job. And it is so, it's so important to do with, especially with a, a deep sense of discernment and understanding of the power that you wield as a prosecutor. And, um, I truly believe it's a noble calling, but it really, for me was not, was not a great fit. And I just found it very, very difficult. And so, and so when I was in that situation, what I found myself asking myself was like, okay, so what, you know, I started, this is before I had children, but I really started digging into these questions. Like, what's next for me? What do I want to do next? And 
how do I want to use my gifts and all these things? And, and I really actually came up with a, with no answer. Like I really at that point did not have an answer. And, and the truth of the matter is I really, I turned to my husband and I said, well, if, if I'm not going to be happy, I might as well get paid well for it. It was a morally neutral decision for me. And the reason that I was able to, to shift so easily from, um, from prosecution to defense is because again, for me, I, I actually believe in the justice system. I believe that this is a totally tangential topic, but I believe it needs to be deeply reformed, but I, I do it. It's heart believe in the American judicial system. And so, and, and both defense attorneys and prosecutors are an integral part of that. And so, so following that thread to me, didn't feel like I was switching sides or, you know, going over to the other side, or it just was a natural flow of different ways to solve different problems and, and serve a different, a different role. So interesting. You made the statement, which I think a lot of people can resonate with. Listen, if I'm going to be unhappy, I may as well get paid well. <laughs> right? So back then, was it even, because we're going to get to where you are now, was it even Mm -hmm. a consideration that you could actually just be happy, maybe be happy, (laughs) be happy and maybe not get paid as well, but actually be happy and get paid well? Like did that, was that even a, was that even a consideration or no? I think it was a consideration, but I think I didn't, this is, I didn't know about coaches. I didn't know about how to assess my own strengths and gifts. I didn't, I really was very new to any sense of discernment or how, how to sort of follow those hot threads. I mean, um, those hot tracks to a place that would lead me someplace where I could both make money and do something I love. So I think I I held it out as a hope, but, um, I had followed my heart to prosecuting. And I think when I got there and I had that just and I took a real leap of faith. I actually left a, a, a fairly prestigious job to go do that. And so when I made that leap of faith and then it didn't turn out to the work itself was not as fulfilling as I thought it would be. I think that I went through a period of just discontentment where I just really, I started wondering whether or not work is what I needed to make me happy. Like maybe this whole happiness thing was actually not about what I was doing in the world, but what kind of human I was, how I was showing up in the world, regardless of my work. And Mm -hmm. and that started sort of laying the foundation for some of the larger shifts that I experienced later. But practically speaking, I had looked at a thousand different types of legal jobs when I, when I left to go prosecute in the first place. And so I think I just had very little hope that I was really going to find meaningful work, um, at that point. Got it. So everybody has, when they've made a major life shift, there's typically, well, I guess you go two ways, either the slow boil, right. Of the frog in the boiling water or the tipping point of, I literally cannot do this anymore. And they remember that day, that moment vividly. Mm -hmm. So without telling me which it, you know, what the exact event is, which one was it for you? Was it a slow boil or was it a, this is it. I, I can't do this one more day when you made this switch to what you're doing now. It was a, this is it. Okay. So let's, so let's hit this. So now you are a defense attorney. How long were you doing that before that line in the sand? I think I was there for about three years. Okay. Um, but ultimately in full disclosure, it wasn't the work that, um, that had me ultimately go to full boil. It was really, um, when I had my children, I actually I actually suffered from, um, postpartum depression. Okay. And so I, I was home with my second child and I had had, you know, really lived into sort of a, a season of what I call the deep darkness. It was not, it was not a pleasant, it was not a pleasant journey of about nine months to a year. And, um, and I really did just have this like and I'm happy to tell the story, but this moment where I literally looked myself in the eyes in the mirror and realized that something had to give. 
So that feeling, if, if we were standing, you know, by your side in front of that mirror at the core of your soul, that feeling was what specifically that had to give. Yeah. So the, um, it's, can I tell the story? Absolutely. That, so I had been home, like I said, and I, and I, my baby had just, my second baby had just started sleeping through the night and it was a terrible sleeper. So I hadn't slept in through the night in probably nine months to a year. And, and I had finally slept through the night and I was getting out of the shower and I actually, I caught, so I'm standing there in my towel and I catch a glimpse of myself in my bathroom mirror. And, and it sounds so cliched to, when I tell this story, but this is really, this is exactly what happened. And I looked and I saw this person and like her eyes were dull and there was like this lack of just vitality. Like I looked so gray, you know, and on the inside, I always thought of myself as like an outgoing person, as an energetic person, as a passionate person, as, as all of these, a person of deep faith. And, um, you know, I thought of myself as charismatic and like, just like all these things that, that when I look, when I caught myself in the mirror, I just, I didn't see. And I became aware in that moment of the deep, deep gap between how I was showing up in the world and who I knew myself to be. And for so long, I realized really in almost an instant that, that for so long, I thought that it was enough to just know who I was. And that if I wasn't expressing that in an authentic way, like that was okay. And all of a sudden I had this juxtaposition was like, Oh, wait, I'm actually not showing up in the world as the human being that I know I'm called to be. And, and I, so I walk out of my bedroom, like holding my towel and, um, and my poor husband was like putting on his pants. He was just trying to go to work. And, and, and I looked at him and I remember saying, I don't know if I can be happy like other people can be happy, but I'm, I'm going to try for you and for the girls and for myself, I'm going to try. And he looked at me and just said the perfect thing. He said, okay. And I said, okay. And I went back into the bathroom and, um, that was, that was literally the day that everything started changing for me. So in that moment, it wasn't for you. This is about the job. I've got to change my job. This is the whole of everything isn't working. And I'm not sure what the answer is, but I know it's not this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's just that, that the same, I think it feels a lot like the job, but it's, it was everything, you know, it was just this, this sudden awareness that I had the, I had a choice to make about who I was going to be. And how I was going to express and use, you know, it, to, the language that you used earlier reminded me of the Mary Oliver poem, you know, your one wild and precious life. It's like, how, how, what am I going to do with this gift that I've been given? And, um, and I just wasn't showing up in the world the, the way that I wanted to anymore. So why do you think being, having been somebody who's gone through that exact moment that so many people also have that moment and then mm-hmm. go, huh? Well, but you know what? I went through a lot of school. I have a lot of college debt and this is my lot in life. And this is what my family's expectation and society's expectation is. So buck up and get over it. And then they just keep going until who knows what the next right uh, smack upside the head is that this isn't working. But why do you think so many people honestly feel that way to the core of their soul. I forget now what the statistics are for how many people have a very unfulfilling life and and dislike their job to a, a huge degree, yet stay in it. So do you think it's 
it's the pressure of, gosh, what will people think of me if I leave? Do you think it's the fear of the unknown? Hey, this is miserable, but the, the devil I know <laughs> is better than the devil I don't know, right? So yeah. if you were talking to somebody who's listening right now who says, holy cow, I just walked out of the bathroom this morning and that was the exact thought I had, yet they're driving to work, uh, listening mm. to this. If you're talking to that person, you know, what does it take? What What is the final? I, I, I wish I could reach everybody and say, you don't have to hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. You don't have oh. to lose everything Amen. to make a choice, right? So if we're yeah. talking to that person, what would you say to that person listening right now? That you have to get uncomfortable before you get comfortable again. You know, I think the first question you asked is like, what, what is the thing that keeps people from, that just makes them go back to the humdrum? And I do think the answer is fear. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, we, we as natural human beings, there are two things we don't want to be uncomfortable. The discomfort of change is uncomfortable. You know, it, it is not easy to, to transform your life into something that it's never been before and to leave behind the, the every, the framework that you've spent your entire life building in redefine success on whole new terms. I mean, that is, that's, it's terrifying for a million reasons. And I'm, I keep thinking of I'm sure we've all heard of the metamorphosis, like of the change metaphor of the butterfly. But um, I, I remember when I heard for the first time that when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, it doesn't just get sort of changed. It like liquefies to goo. Literally, it liquefies to goo before it's reconstituted as a butterfly. And if that's not a metaphor for anyone who's ex experienced these huge life transformations, it's like, oh yeah, I get reconstituted to goo. And we're human beings. We don't want to be reconstituted to goo, right? Like nobody wants to go to goo. We want to preserve ourselves. Right. And so, but I think that the the one thing that I can say to someone listening who's like, oh, thanks, Caroline. Like you just confirmed for me. I don't want to turn to goo. I'm just going to go to work is remembering that and trusting it requires a level of faith that there is something on the other side of the goo, that there is a change that's worth it, that there's, um, that on the other side of this metamorphosis is something more precious, more powerful, more meaningful, and more real even to us than the butterfly. Um, and, and trusting and having faith that there is something on the other side um, that is so, so much more rewarding and grounded and rooted and real than the discomfort of the change itself and the discomfort of staying the same. And that takes a leap of faith. It does. And I love that you are using this word discomfort because the other end of that butterfly struggle is that struggle that the, that the young butterfly goes through in breaking out of the cocoon is exactly that. It's an extreme struggle. And the reason for that struggle in that breaking out of the cocoon is to get that blood flow through its wings, to mm -hmm. make its wings strong enough to be able to fly. And that if somebody were to come along and just help it out and break that cocoon open, because, oh my gosh, look, he's struggling. Let me do that work for you the butterfly would die. It, it, it literally has to go through that struggle in order to fly. And so I think when people have in their head, well, it's going to be too challenging or it's going to be too much work. Yes, but by design, it should be. It's what's going to give you the strength to be able to make it, right? So, and, and somebody else can't come along and do that work for you, 
And so yeah. all of this is that sort of mindset of, you know, if you are looking for the easy road or you're looking for someone to, to do that internal soul searching for you, or you're just going to read a book and, or listen to a podcast or whatever it is and have it all figured out. What you went through, I know for a fact was a lot of internal soul searching of where do I find meaning? Cause it's not just about the paycheck. It's not just about the job title. It's why am I here? And that answer is in you. Right? It didn't lie external of you, but that took work and a whole lot of dark days to get there. And if we're not willing to do that, I don't know how we have an expectation of coming out better off on the other side. It's going to be messy. There's no other way around it. And, and it's time uh, that we all have to put into our own inner psyche and our own thought of what our legacy is meant to be. So that leads me into my next question for you. You've obviously written a couple of books on not only starting a business, but meaningful work, not just how to go find a job, right? How to write a resume, but meaningful work. So for you in this way, I have to believe I could be completely wrong, but I have to believe that somehow this is tied to what you want your legacy to be why you're here in this lifetime. So knowing everything you know now, what is that for you? What ultimately is your legacy and why do you think you are here? I wish that I had a cute answer for you. And you know, I, I'm sure my marketing materials have one to help women build a life that truly matters. You know, <laughs> that's my cute answer. But the sure. truth is, is that, um, I try and show up in honesty and integrity and in not just the podcast I do, but in my life every day and answering our call is an iterative process. You know, I wish that it was, it was, um, it was clear and crisp and easy to answer. But the truth is, is that I keep asking and searching and refining every day. And I hope I do for the rest of my life, because I think for me, the only thing that I, that I long to leave behind me is to say that I told the truth about our life with, with dignity and compassion. And I loved myself and others well. And, and that my, I'm in these days I find myself and I find a lot of my clients are a lot less worried about a legacy and in, in lights and a lot more concerned with legacy and the people on whom our marks are being are being made, whether it's individual clients or through our writing or just through the way that we're showing up in our workplaces and for our families. And so I think, I hope, I hope I leave a, a legacy of compassionate truth telling that inspires other people to, to tell the truth about where they are and where they want to be with, to them, for themselves with compassion, but also to others whose lives that they're going to change in meaningful ways. And I, what's brilliant about this, and I think that people do often think a legacy is that they invented some new great software, right? Where the reality is even a legacy of living an authentically real life is a huge legacy. Very few people can do that. Be authentic and real and true to who they are and not fall into and cave to society or family pressures. So that in of itself is a huge legacy, especially for those of us that have children. Mm. I think is one of the greatest legacies we can leave is uh, be true to yourself, be honest with yourself and live for you in the best way you can is uh, I think one of the greatest legacies that there can be. So in your books, if you were to really hone this down to one best piece of advice that you have come across in what is the best way 
that you would say if you were to tackle it all over again to really lead a meaningful life? What does that mean to you now in an advice fashion of somebody saying, maybe somebody just graduated from college hmm. before they even start out, right? So if you were going back to that person and giving advice on how to not waste, you know, 10 years of life or 20 years or 30 years, if they want to start out right now with that meaningful way of life with uh, as little regret as possible, what would that advice be? So I have to steal the words from one of my favorite writers, G.K. Chesterton, who wrote, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. And if I had had that written down in my back pocket when I graduated from Yale, I guarantee I would have made different choices because I grew up believing and so many of us grew up believing that you play to win. You know, you play to your strengths, you play to go big or you go home. And there's a time for that. There's a place for that. Absolutely. But if you start with the question, what am I willing to do badly? Then what you're really asking yourself is what am I willing to learn? Where am I willing to grow? So yeah, so that's what I would say. Ask yourself the question, what are you willing to do badly? Yeah, I, it's, that's uh, brilliant and fantastic advice. And you're right, the amount of pressure that's on somebody who is just graduating from college of that great paying job and that great title and that world of perfection, I think is very misguided. So I love it. And it's fantastic advice. If somebody is listening and they want to work with you directly outside of, which I want you to talk about where they can find your books as well, which will be on show notes, but where they can get these books. And if somebody wants to work with you one-on-one, -on -one, how they can go about doing that. Sure. I'm online at Caroline Green with an E coaching.com and I can be reached at Caroline at Caroline Green with an E coaching.com via email. And I'm also on Facebook. And, you know, I really encourage people if they're listening in something that, that I've said tugs on their heart to just remember that the hard work of change, this metamorphosis, this melting down into goo is not something that you have to do alone. And you absolutely do not have to hire me to do it with you. But there are so many good coaches out there. You know, we're living in a world in which people are really opening themselves to the possibility that, wow, I can get help with this and that's okay. And so, and if you have that pull to lean into that, because you do not have to do the hard work of change by yourself. So let's stop and talk about that for a, for a brief second here, because I think that coaching either people aren't really familiar with it or what its benefit is. It's something that I'm obviously a big proponent of here on this show, but I love hearing other people's perspectives as well. So when you're talking to somebody and they're thinking, hire a coach, what are you talking about? I'm, I don't, I don't play sports. Why would I get a coach? Right. Yeah. And, 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 or people have some, you know, uh, other crazy idea about what coaching is. So from your perspective, what is coaching? Why would somebody hire a coach or want to work with a coach outside of, hey, I can't figure my life out and somebody's got to give me direction? If, if that's not who this person is, why would just the normal person who's really not struggling, everything isn't a train wreck, but if they were saying, hey, I should entertain the idea of, uh, of working with a coach, why do you think that would be beneficial? So the way that I view coaching is a sacred invitation to go deep in life, you know, to grow in depth, not just breadth. And I think that, um, especially in the Western world and the way in which we've designed our cities and our homes and our routines and our rhythms, and especially for women, we spend so much time alone and we're, we're meant to be relational people. I mean, we're, we were create, we're relational beings. And what coaching really is, is about, is about honoring the need to be truly seen and heard so that you can feel connected and not just to other people, but also to yourself. 
and honor the fact that you truly do have the wisdom you have within you, everything you need to answer these problems that feel so outside of yourself. And because so much of our culture is geared around selling people things, you know, we do a really good job of bombarding people with messages that you're not enough and you need to buy these things in order to be whole. And I, in so many ways, the way that I view coaching, good coaching and honest coaching is, comes from a place of, no, rec- let me help you recognize, let me reflect back to you that you are in fact already whole and that you have, you have the power to make the changes that you need in order to be in alignment with that truth. So I really see it as much more of, of a guide to living, you know, again, using the words of Mary Oliver, this one wild and precious life of leaning into the gift of your own life and asking yourself on, on, on all levels, what is, how am I going to steward this? How, how am I going to take responsibility and ownership of this gift I've been given and, and use it in a meaningful way, not just for myself or for others? Although I have to give a caveat, there are plenty of not great coaches out there too. So, you know, part of this is, is a discernment process of making sure that people aren't trying to sell you results that they can't deliver on. And that I believe that the, the best coaches really hone into to opening and holding space for people to understand that they actually are much more deeply capable of solving their own problems than they've ever been led to believe. So out of curiosity, and we're coming to a close, I could talk to you for so much longer here, but when you uh, had that bathroom moment, if you will, and realizing, okay, the whole of all of this has just got to change. This is, you know, not what I want to be feeling and spending the rest of my life doing. How did you come across the concept of, I think I should become a coach? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a great question. And I'm <laughs> laughing because my answer is kind of ridiculous. So, and I'll try and answer it quickly. So I went on a soul searching journey. I, I, um, I come from the Christian tradition. So I, I delved first into my faith life and just said, you know, what does this mean to me? And if I'm asking, who am I, who is God? What is the purpose of life? Like I tackled those like really deep existential teenager questions, you know, in my thirties and was just really plowed into them and spent a lot of time reading and thinking and praying and asking questions and and learning and doing sort of in this, in the Christian world. And then, and that didn't give me the answers that I, that I really longed for. I just really didn't feel whole. And, and so I spent a lot of time on the Google machine as we like to call it in my family. Uh, and I actually Googled what's the purpose of life one night. And I found a Martha Beck article and the way that she answered it, um, and, and the way that she framed it in terms of understanding who you truly are and what your true purpose is so resonated with me that, um, and, and this tends to be my personality. I didn't just try and find a Martha Beck coach. I signed up for a coach training program, um, after reading sort of all of her books. And so my path was very much just responsive to, um, this desire to, like I said before, to live with this honesty and integrity. And I followed people and thought leaders who I thought were showing up in the world in that way. And lo and behold, um, ended up in a life coach training program, never thinking I was going to be a life coach, by the way, I was just doing it for the learning and it changed my life for forever. Excellent. And it really is. I hope people are listening to the takeaway there that when you start to tune in and listen to yourself and follow what makes your heart sing, when you follow what makes you feel good versus making you feel bad, there's something to that. And to stay on that track, even when we don't know what the end game is, but to know that I feel that this is the right path for me, it just will continue to unfold. And, and who knows what the rest of your life will wind up looking like to the point of who knows what the ultimate legacy is, but staying on that right, true, authentic path, it is the right answer. So I love this. I'm glad that this is the way this 
show is wrapping up. And my last and final question for you that I ask everybody on this show, out of everything you've been through your entire journey to include your bathroom moment, which was a fork in the road for you, what is one thing that you absolutely believe to be true? There's no such thing as failure. You know, I, I, I think that I spent so much of my life afraid of failing, you know, afraid of doing things wrong, afraid of disappointing people who had trusted me and entrusted me with these responsibilities and giving me the gifts of these education. I just felt such the weight of the world. And I was so terrified to do things badly. And, and I made such a, a series of decisions to avoid failure and minimize discomfort. And, and I, you know, as we talked about on the show already, I think part of what my journey has been about is understanding that, um, minimizing discomfort is so much more uncomfortable than just being uncomfortable for a little while and leaning into that discomfort and coming out the other side. Um, and so I know that it's popular right now and it, it may feel a little trite, but truly the idea that there's no such thing as failure is, um, I try to instill it in my kids. I try to live it every day and I try and share it as much as possible because it really does open up the type of opportunities you were talking about to start listening to your heart and stop listening to the fear mongers in your head, um, telling you what you should be doing or have to be doing. So I think that's it. I think it's fantastic. And it is the mantra of the butterfly, right? Mm. Without that struggle, without mm. that struggle, you cannot fly. I mean, there's just, there's not one without the other. So I think it's fantastic. It's a lovely image. And Caroline, I so appreciate talking with you. I know that so many people can resonate with that. And whether it's something they've gone through or something they're in the thick of right now, it's so great to hear the passion and joy and truly just the happiness in your voice to know that there is clearly another side, right? There's, there is light at that end of that tunnel. Um, we just have to have the perseverance to get there. So thank you so much for your time. It means a great deal to me. And I appreciate, uh, like I said, the light that you're sharing with everybody who's listening right now. You truly are uh, somebody who embodies what it is to have a game-changing mindset. And thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening in on this episode of the Game Changers podcast. The next step is to hit the subscribe button to make sure you never miss an episode or any of our incredible guests. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.